0: Hello and welcome to Banking Transform. I'm your host, Jim Maroose, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. The pandemic disrupted the entire planet, changing consumer behavior, altering business and governmental assumptions, and dramatically impacting business plans. The future is still unclear, but the opportunities and risks are immense. What lies ahead will define winners and losers, from the adoption of new technologies to a redefined future work and new innovative culture. Digital banking transformation will require paradigm shifts in leadership thinking and a new level of agility. Our guest today is Paola Cerrone, Global Research Leader for Banking and Finance at the IBM Institute for Business Value. We discussed how financial institutions will need to explore a new normal which may require continual reinvention of business models and solutions welcome to the show today paolo it's been forever since we saw each other i think it was in finland at an event where we were like two ships passing the night i think i was leaving as you were coming in we were going to different places afterwards so how have you been
1: I'm fine. Thanks, Jim. And I also see your records when you do sport and I envy you so much. Actually, I admire you. So another set of inspirations from you to me.
0: Well, thank you. You know, before we dive into the meat of our discussion today, could you share a little bit about yourself and the work you do for the IBM Institute of Business Value for the people in our audience who may not already know who you
1: are? Okay, so let me tell you where I come from and what I do for IBM, because my life before IBM is like the journey of Dante Alighieri in the Divine Comedy, if you had the chance of reading this Italian masterpiece of the 1400s, So basically, Dante started in hell. I started in the hell of banking as a risk manager. That's where I saw all of the possible things that we laugh about that of the financial system. And in 2008, I decided to build uh, a fintech a startup that was focusing on digital well-management. And that's like entering purgatory because you make so many mistakes. You really have to suffer. Everybody thinks that entrepreneurship is just fun. It is not. It is a big effort and a lot of pain. And then I sold uh, to IBM, a small company, 2013. That's when I got into IBM. And uh, I accessed uh, this heaven of uh, exponential technologies and artificial intelligence. But something I always kept on the radar and I learned that with my fellow colleagues is the importance of remaining anchored to the needs of the human being, uh, the so-called Homo sapiens, which uh, permeates all of my work in IBM, as well as my literature. And so what do I do for IBM? I've been traveling a lot. You've been seeing me everywhere and I saw you everywhere. Before the pandemic was just crazy maybe too much. But I've learned uh, that we can divide the world into three macro areas without wanting to forget anyone, Jim. Let's say that the US is where digital technology was born. I know that the Chinese in particular are becoming very competitive, but let's say digital was born in the US. Europe is where deregulation is typically born, and it is important because Europeans need to harmonize the Capital Market Union and uh, the European Union itself, but also it is important to remind that the final consumer needs to be protected. But the winner of the fintech revolution lives in Asia, in particular China and India, because that is where the business models are born. So my role in ABM is to understand uh, the differences among the strategies and the business models, knowing that You cannot export them all the same way from one jurisdiction to the other. Understand how exponential technology can help these business models to scale, knowing that the technologies are not all at the same level of maturity, but keeping everything within a regulatory framework to make sure that we don't just look for change, but also progress so we don't forget what we really wanted to do with purpose in front of the final consumer.
0: So it's interesting, you know, we, we are very fortunate in that we have jobs that push us to understand how financial institutions work in different places. And and right before COVID, as my listeners know, I went to Shenzhen, China, and saw WeBank, and saw Alibaba, and all this, and, and you just see an amazing change in the way banking's done there, but there's also the geopolitical differences that make some of that possible. But but still, to be able to to have as a job researching how organizations are actually transforming the banking experience is exciting. And, And probably no time has been more exciting than now. So, The IBM Institute of Business Value, in cooperation with the Oxford Economics, recently interviewed 3,000 CEOs from over 50 countries and 26 industries for its most recent chief executive loss report. Many financial institutions were included in this research study that sought to determine the priorities, challenges, key lessons, essential truths for winning in the future. So what were the concerns your researchers found within the financial institution segment
1: jim the institute for business value is the thought leadership center of ibm and every year we publish among the many research that we generate this year study and this year was effectively larger than ever it's the 21st CEO studies since we started this journey, and we interviewed 3,000 CEOs uh, looking at what they think is happening in their business, on the society, in the pandemic and post-pandemic world. So we did that at the end of uh, 2020 and published it at the beginning of 2021. Out of these 3,000, almost 300 are CEOs of banking and financial market institutions. Now, talking to them about which are their key concerns, uh, a few things uh, um, became evident in these conversations. First of all, that the majority was truly concerned about market and macroeconomic conditions. Like, they all realized and knew that uh, the vaccination would have improved uh, the economic outlook uh, and uh, the post-pandemic situation because of social distancing. uh, Like, The economies would open up, but nobody knew how much damage the pandemic built inside the economy that banks would have to deal with in the years to come. So particularly in Europe and the U.S., Canada, more than in Asia, this was a key concern for the CEOs. So the raising uncertainty. I would say that on the top of their concern also technology is there, a concern in the sense that they all realize that it is important to transform using technology, but they know how difficult it is to go through this technological transformation. But if I can say another insight that we discovered uh, Interviewing so many CEOs worldwide, uh, I would say that regulation that typically is high on the agenda was a bit less relevant as a concern in Europe and in North America. I guess because they're already heavily regulated markets and really the market and macroeconomic conditions were a big concern. But in Asia, we saw that regulation was uh, more debated than anywhere else within the banking and financial market community. We can think about what happened in November last year with the Chinese regulators flexing their muscles uh, to basically start transforming uh, the way and Financial, uh, Tencent, uh, JDC, the other big players in the Middle Kingdom are operating. So I guess that there is a consensus that there will be more to come in broader Asia around regulation. But all in all, I would say that the rising uncertainty on market and macroeconomic conditions uh, are the key concern of CEOs for the next two years?
0: So, given those concerns, and given what the financial institutions were looking at, the CEOs were looking at as, as being the biggest priorities overall. What what priorities do the financial institutions have right now as they proceed out of the pandemic? What did you see as being the major issues that they are prioritizing in in the as they move toward the new normal?
1: That is a very good question because. Uh, we actually thought, okay, you have these concerns. So what, where do you start from addressing these concerns? And in talking to so many CEOs worldwide, uh, what emerged is that uh, building ecosystems of partners is the first priority among the few or the many that you can consider, but truly more than any other industry, and in particular wholesale, more than retail banking, focused on the building of ecosystem of partners. And why is that? Because... uh, you need to become more adaptive and transform faster, and uncertainty is very high, and therefore only learning how to trust the ecosystem of partners you work with and do that systematically, these CEOs realized that they could face the market and macroeconomic uncertainties that they were forced to live in in the post-pandemic world. And that is really confirming the shift that we are all seeing in terms of connecting uh, to the banking platform a variety of different uh, opportunities in order to streamline not only internal operations like automated intelligent workflows but also what is created in front of the customers to be capable of transforming and changing as clients change their expectations market conditions get modified the new competition enter the market so on and so forth so i would say The ecosystem of partners is identified as the top priority to face and resolve the problem of market and macro uncertainty.
0: So, you know, you talk about the partnerships and we we talk about this quite a bit on the show that, you know, there's very, very few organizations, if any, that can make this alone. Using partners and and solution providers and all that really provides the ability to, to get speed of market, to get some agility, to get some innovation in the thing, but But when you really look at the foundation of of change, it really falls on the the shoulders of leaders. So, given the priorities and concerns that were found among the financial institutions, how does leadership, how did you find that leadership needs to change to meet the challenges and address the looming priorities?
1: Well, I think that uh, important change comes from the top, especially when you work for an established institution. Now, among these uh, thousands of CEOs, uh, We interviewed some uh, with uh, more uh, care and with more time. So we've been sitting for more than one hour, for example, with Piyush Gupta, the CEO of uh, DBS Bank in Singapore. And we asked this question to Piyush Gupta. And what he responded is that if you can embrace agile setups and experiments, then you become adaptive and nimble. And I'm quoting for this study that everybody can download from the ibm.com slash ibv web pages. So then it is really important to build a different mindset, a mindset that favors the attempt. So to make it happen, you need to try. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes. As I said before, in the purgatory of startups, I really had to make many mistakes myself. But it's important because it enables you to learn and it enables you to clarify to yourself which is your path forward. Clearly, failing doesn't mean disrupting a business in itself. It means you work within a regulated environment, you work within a secure environment. So the way you use technology to make sure that you can try and test is the business-critical element because it enables you to do this at speed. All in all, uh, the banks are transforming from um, traditional uh, business architectures to cloud-based or hybrid cloud architectures. And the main difference in this transformation is that before they had to focus mainly on cost optimization, but now and tomorrow they need to focus on speed. So it is so important that they understand that because only by learning how to Build a secured business architecture in a big cloud that facilitates an operating model that generates speed. They can tackle all of those uncertainties coming from market factors or macroeconomic conditions. And therefore, they can collaborate with an ecosystem of partners made of big players as well as a panoply of fintech companies in order to box out from the current confined low margin environment.
0: So, from your personal perspective, is leadership ready? to embrace all this change that's taking place. You know, you mentioned a lot of things here. You mentioned having to reset the back office. You, you mentioned the need to look at the cloud technology. You, you mentioned digital transformation overall. Those are all really big concepts. And in most organizations, especially what I'm going to call the mid-asset range organizations, as well as smaller organizations, you're dealing with legacy leadership that's been in place probably for, thirty or been at their financial institution or in banking 30 to 40 years. How do those people really reset the clock or relearn what needs to be learned to really become a digital uh, financial institution?
1: Well, I've been discussions with CEOs uh, and board of banks, uh, as well as, uh, um, if you like, successful large fintechs. There's something that I used to tell the audience uh, through the years. Uh, You know that uh, I am co-host of Breaking Banks Europe and a good friend of Brad King, and I love Breaking Banks Europe. It's an amazing uh, podcast. But I'm also using that language in a provocative way. I used to tell the thousands of fintech I've been meeting with that they cannot break a bank for the simple reason that banks are already broken because they are divided into different silos,es and business units. All of these units contain a piece of the client data. They have these articulated incentives that can be aggregated at the end in the income statement and on the balance sheet of the bank. But there's no cohesive view of the client in order to box out and create something new. So now, that is why I always say that although it is important to look at the unbundled. On the services on the technical level mostly to build the consistent and interoperable microservices the key secret sauce to succeed is to be able to bundle back by bundling back all this capability means that the leaders of the institution needs to create those incentives inside the institution that favor the change and this is where i, I remember um, reading the famous uh, api uh, mandate of jeff bezos i don't know if you had the chance of reading it In 2018, um, I think it was called Stevie Yegging, an employee of Google that used to work for Amazon, wrote an internal memo that inadvertently was broadcasted outside. It was basically providing some criticism to some of the um, Google platform configurations. And it was saying that Jeff Bezos shared this memo with his employees years before, saying that the only way to communicate within business units is through APIs, basically so interfaces what does it mean it means that if you don't learn how to open up the borders within the organization to share basically the view of the client in a different way you will not succeed when you try to do that outside so it is as important as building a user experience for a client to build a different experience for the employees which really enables them to understand what it means to cook innovation and to see clients and opportunities under a completely different light from the past of the traditional product-driven bank.
0: You mentioned innovation. You and I often get into virtual conversations around the importance of innovative culture. This often is not prioritized in a legacy financial institution. How did the pandemic impact the importance of innovation in banking?
1: The pandemic was uh, a tough time in uh, in the history of humankind, uh, and it revealed uh, the fact that uh, we are surrounded by uncertainty. It brought uncertainty to the extreme and you know that fundamental uncertainty is at the heart of most of my literature because it also explains uh, the way we deal as human beings with uh, digital and the financial problem. Now, using the pandemic as a lesson learned for what banks and fintech have to do going forward, um, I think that there are three lessons learned that we have learned in the last year and a half. And they're all around transparency, openness, and advice. Transparency is relevant because um, at the very beginning, we didn't know much. Not that we know everything now, there's many things we don't know, but being sincere about what we know and what we don't, would create trust uh, with the citizens, with the communities, because the behavior had to change in order to, you know, break out from uh, the uh, pandemic conundrum. So those communities, those governments, uh, those jurisdictions that were more transparent about what they knew, what they did, and they could communicate that properly to the uh, citizens uh, are those that most likely are emerging faster out of uh, the pandemic conundrum. At the same time, uh, banks are facing very uncertain uh, market and macro conditions. And only being transparent uh, with the communities they serve, they can build the trust uh, to propel new business models that box them out and enable them to differentiate by generating value effectively for the communities. So transparency is the first element. The second lesson learned is openness. We all know that um, creating a new vaccine or finding a new cure uh, is not easy. It requires many tests uh, and many approaches. Sometimes the doctors have to go through what-if attempts to learn what was better or worse for the patient. Now, sharing the data across doctors, uh, universities, research and centers is of fundamental importance. Also IBM contributed providing computing power and capabilities uh, to facilitate this collaboration element. Now, facing uncertainty, the CEOs of banks and financial markets realize that open banking openness is the way forward because only by being open and learning that openness is a status is not just a transition they can become more adaptive and capable of creating new solutions very fast because the ecosystem enriches at faster speed compared to a closed system and the third is the one of advice We know that uh, everyone has to do his bit uh, in order to resolve uh, the pandemic problem. So governments, organizations have to continuously advise people in the first wave, the second wave, about the importance of certain behavior. Now, advice uh, is also emerging uh, within the banking charter as uh, that element that aggregates the new business model of banks, of the visible banks, uh, because it's the element that really generates value for society because enables people to effectively self-direct themselves on digital by giving them the means and the capability to know what they are doing. So transparency, openness and the importance of advice, trusted advice versus the client are the three lessons learned from the pandemic that are going to drive and are already driving the way well-informed banks are positioning innovation on the fintech ecosystem.
0: So this may be a related question, but as you look forward in the next few years, from your perspective, what do you think will separate the winners from the also-rans or the losers in the marketplace? Because not everyone's going to get it, obviously, but what's going to be the major element that's going to separate the leaders from the, the the followers.
1: There's a few things that I would say Silicon Valley, in general, I did not understand about fintech. Um, one of these uh, is that fintech and banks did not understand the essence of uh, platform economies, which is where I'm heavily researching and, and positioning my literature going forward but before delving into the cost of platforms there's something most important that goes around platforms platforms excel in outcome economies so it is important to understand how you move from output economies to outcome economies what is the difference think about BMW. BMW wants to sell 1 million cars next year of the new series 7 that's output economy okay so how many cars you sell but b w organizing uh, car sharing to let 1 million Berlin commuters go to the office in the morning uh, is outcome economy. It changes everything. It changes the experience. It changes how clients pay for that capability to go to work. So it's truly transformative. What is the equivalent in banking? Uh, with a simple example, just pick up a bank, UBS, just to say one. UBS wants to sell 1 billion asset under management of a monetary fund next year to the customers. That's output economies. So it's marketing, it's product-driven. Outcome economy means UBS wants to enable the clients to achieve their personal, their business, and their financial goals, to improve their financial wellness. That is outcome economy because the way clients are going to pay for that and the experience they have with their banking advisor is very different compared to the world where products were the center of the definition. So this shift from outputs to outcomes was misunderstood by Benefintechs that consider themselves like a digital marketplace of products whose margins are going to be squeezed further and further and had a hard time in understanding that instead, they just needed, they didn't have to plug digital on top of existing output oriented business models. They had to understand the outcome economy, how to rebundle on a platform that has the client at the center, therefore transform the relationships on digital.
0: So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. Is your organization Trying to embrace digital banking transformation in 2021? Are you trying to elevate the customer experience? Figure out what technology you want to implement to improve the customer journey. Look at data analytics to really better understand and personalize the customer experience? And are you trying to make it so that more of your employees can buy into and be part of your digital banking transformation? If this sounds like you, I ask you to reimagine banking with our newest podcast sponsor, Microsoft. They give you the opportunity to unlock new opportunities at speed throughout innovative business models, deliver differentiated customer experiences across channels, products, and services, and redefine new ways of banking. Microsoft and its partner ecosystem help banks to achieve differentiation through sustainable growth, streamlining core systems, reducing cost and risk, and delighting customers and employees. If you're in the midst of a journey, trying to figure out what to do next, maybe trying to find out what other organizations are doing to lift up their experience level, I really encourage you to look at Microsoft. For more information, visit Microsoft.com slash financial services. Welcome back to Bank Transform. So I'm joined today by Paolo Cerrone, Global Research Leader for Banking and Finance at the IBM Institute for Business Value. We are discussing the new research done by his organization, what is essential to survive in a post-pandemic world. And the last question we asked was about, you know, what's going to make the difference between the winners and losers? So off that question, I'm going to ask you, okay, so if you're a smaller, mid-sized organizations, is there an ability to play catch-up? Is there an ability to actually transform to the degree that you've been talking about?
1: One of the famous quotes of uh, Bill Gates is that uh, we don't need banks, uh, we need banking. Now, he was only partially right. And we know these days that uh, he has been wrong in other few unfortunate elements uh, because we must still need bankers and the reason why we need bankers is because uh, there is what i call a pull and push gap uh, in uh, the economy like uh, most of uh, banking uh, are offered to clients uh, because of their difficulty in understanding uh, the uh, banking or the financial problem but technology is the technology of the demand right so it's basically good for people that are self-directed so now the contact with the clients is fundamental the big banks might have lost that contact. They can replicate that on digital, but they can go only that far. So local banks can basically become community platforms, put it this way. They used to be part of a community because banks are working in a rural area where uh, like... uh, agriculture-oriented banks, right? But they really never inserted themselves into that ecosystem to help that ecosystem do and perform better. Now, with contextual banking, they can remove the frictions out of those ecosystems, orchestrating platforms that enable them to make those communities more effective and more competitive also on the world stage. Because once you... Um, organize uh, the farmers in uh, India, for example, you can export uh, that model for the farmers of uh, North Dakota, if the farmers are up there. So it is very transportable, but it starts from the connection with the community, understanding those ecosystems and knowing what they need. And second, there is another shift in banking, which is what I call conscious banking. That is the emergence of advisor planning as the element that bundles back all of the banking products into something which is not a product anymore, but is an engagement, is really a service. Now, here and again, being the trusted advisor requires a lot of proximity with the client. So I do believe that a mix of human and technology well understood by the smaller banks will enable them to not just survive, but become more competitive facing the strength of the large players and keep a higher variety in the banking ecosystem. Nothing against with the big banks, the too big to fail, but I do believe that diversity is value. So the variety in the banking ecosystem in terms of these catches and offers is also something that we need to look at carefully in favor because it will benefit the communities in the very end.
0: So you, you've been referencing the, the, the contextual and conscious banking, which is really the, the foundation of your new book that's coming out in the fall,
1: right? Yes. The title is uh, Banks and Fintech on Platform Economies, Contextual and Conscious Banking, and it's uh, published by Wiley. Can you share a little bit about
0: the focus of that book and, and why you believe the future of banking is really going to be around platforms?
1: So the research unit of the European Central Bank, let me start from here, published a very interesting paper last year, almost one year after I myself presented in the press room of this, my fourth book, Financial Market Transparency and and shared in Mexico with Ms. Lagarde. So the researchers of the European Central Bank say that uh, it is information and communication that provide market power to financial institutions. Now, information is core, core banking you can think of payments and the adverse selection finding the best client for uh, the most convenient rate or understanding the complexity of the client to price uh, credit risk uh, accordingly communication instead is interface is uh, the advisory element is where a lot of the fintechs started focusing themselves as well is the basically is the last mile now what happens is that information typically consumes most of the cost in a financial institution is the traditional uh, monolithic uh, uh, business architectures. And that uh, consumes so much capability that is difficult for banks uh, to focus on communication interface, where basically they need to excel in the user experience and the engagement with the client. Now, how do they make money and generate value for the clients, understanding the tension between information and communication, which is a technical tension and a business tension. Well, information needs to leverage adjacent ecosystems using banking as a service type of platforms, which is the evolution of open banking into open finance is to way more. That means being capable of decomposing the various capabilities and using them to eliminate frictions in non-banking ecosystems or providing them to others They may need them because they are advanced. And that is basically bringing banks towards a contextual banking type of strategy so the bank becomes invisible but generates value to different uh, ecosystems by reducing the frictions on the side of communication instead um, we can see the creation of banking as a platform type of architectures where the banks wants to onboard external innovation to recreate a visible relationship with a client and that's where conscious banking emerges. It is conscious because it is visible. Because the value of conscious banking in the advisory relationship is to enable people to be capable of self-direct themselves. That is a value that needs to be remunerated. As you cannot remunerate it inside the products anymore, it needs to be clear in front of the client that the value comes from that relationship. So you see, the tension between information and communication, I position in the new book in what I call the banking and invention quadrant by uh, sliding on the information intensity quotient, banks will open up to the ecosystems, so will embrace open banking. We we'll look at uh, every cloud the type of uh, architectures. So basically they build trust on the utilization of data and insights. When sliding on the axis of communication quotient, they will basically learn how to move from a data driven bank to a data-enabled client configuration, basically building intelligent communication with a client where data is used to make sure that the client knows what to do with digital, because otherwise we have a good app, but the client cannot consume uh, more complex uh, solutions and services they need for their financial life on digital. And the combination of two generates contextual banking and conscious banking. And where do you see this? Well, in Asia, in particular, you see a lot of contextual banking, you have those platforms. You can think of DBS, bank marketplaces. You can think of SBI, you only need one, super app. You think about what happens in, in China or Bank of Baroda for the farmers. Conscious banking, you see more in the Western world, like Europe and the US. i just give you an example, which is uh, UBS. Um, the shift from output to outcomes, we said, is out of products, into the financial wellness of people, basically the planning exercise, right? Out of information into communication. Now, UBS is the largest bank in Ireland. However, the FTSE cell took UBS out of the banking index, uh, in 2020, July 2020, saying that UBS is not the bank anymore, is an asset manager, because most of the revenues come from communication, not from information. So then you see these two strategies, uh, which are underpinned by banking as a service and banking as a platform type of uh, uh, infrastructures, will enable banks to stay relevant, either contextualizing into adjacent ecosystems with contextual banking or being visible in front of a client as trusted advisors and merchant bankers by playing and helping clients resolve their problems on the financial wellness equation, and that is called conscious banking.
0: Well, What's interesting is you're really talking about, and we've talked about it on the show before, a real change in the way that value is transferred, in the way that financial institutions make money, in the way that consumers provide their information and insight as well as their personal data, but also in how they're willing to pay for things. I mean, you think about, I use the example of Amazon, who would have thought that on an Amazon platform, you'd pay $125 a year just for the right to be part of Amazon Prime, where the value really is 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 provided on an ongoing basis in the way that they know you, understand you, and reward you. It's, it's a different way of banking. I, I see this with... Uh, Acacia Bank with the, uh, the, the young adult uh, platform they have and, and also at NBD Emirates, uh, I'm sorry Emirates, NBD, where they have live. Um, another platform that really the financial underpinnings of that is is not coming from the products, it's coming from the partnerships and the open banking consortium. So finally, what do you see on the horizon from a digital transformation perspective within financial institutions? what do you think consumers will expect and what will financial institutions be able to deliver in the future?
1: What you say is very true and very relevant. That's why I spent a lot of time researching into the biological macro foundations of finance to understand how to re-anchor the process of transformation in order to address the most compelling requests and needs of the clients, which are not necessarily those that we keep on hearing about on social media. Now, it's difficult to say what clients expect because sometimes uh, they don't know what they can have uh, with innovation. But there's one thing that clients want, which has been uh, indicated by many researches uh, made by academia as well as regulators. I can just mention the one of the Italian market regulator, Consob three years ago, investigating uh, how how and why individuals make financial decisions uh, for their personal life. Customers expect trust. Trust is the essence of banking, which is made of two things, uh, security and transparency on what they do. And we detached a little bit from these principles in the last 50 years. Security stayed there compared to other industries. Banks need to do more, but they are the most secured. Upon the uh, compared to the, to the others, but trust needs to be recuperated. And, and trust was evident at the height of the global financial crisis as the missing element. Now, why does this matter? Because only transparency generates trust facing uncertainty when you have to make a kind of decisions, uh, knowing uh, how much you have to pay for and how much the other one is remunerated. Only transparency enables to make change progress. We cannot just look at change, we want to look at progress. And in everything we do, you can just think about what IBM does in terms of artificial intelligence, transparency, robustness, and explicability are the core of everything, beyond the value of the algorithm, because only with that we can generate trust to build progress and not only change.
0: So it's interesting, as we discussed all this, we look at the changes and the research you've done at IBM. It's interesting because what we're really seeing is is a new way to describe value transfer. We also see that during the pandemic, consumers became aware of what they wanted and how to get it. And, and different organizations outside of financial services have certainly raised the bar. We saw in our research of the digital bank report that every financial institution ranked themselves lower than they did before the pandemic with regard to data analytics maturity, innovation maturity, digital transformation maturity. And it was because the marketplace changed so quickly and it was very hard to for the financial institutions to keep up. And what's interesting is that in your discussion with me today, it is very apparent that speed, simplicity, transparency, and the ability to rethink the business model from the inside out, not from the outside in, not, not changing the way something looks on a phone, but really changing the way you do things is needed. So this is this a major transformation in financial services. And I think your CEO survey really pointed out, number one, the logical fears, but also the hopefulness that we can take the opportunities that a pandemic provides to continue to move as fast as we did during the last 12 months, 12 to 15 months. Paolo, hey, I really appreciate you being on the show today. It's a very interesting topic. Your research is always good. For people that aren't aware, number one, how do they get a hold of you or how do they follow you?
1: They can do two things. They can follow my professional work on ibm.com slash ibv, where they can see the research, such as the CEO study or the new research that I'm preparing for after the summer break around uh, how the operational model agility on every cloud can generate financial performance for the financial institutions. I'm really working on on that all time, so hold the breath. But you can also follow me on LinkedIn where I have most of the conversations. So please take a look at what I do, my literature, reach out and hold the breath also for my new book, Bank and FinTech on Platform Economies, Contextual and Conscious Banking, which is with Wiley in October, more or less.
0: That's great. And, and for those who don't know, this is not Paolo's first book. He has other books out there. You can look at all, but but really it's important for those in the audience that, that really are trying to learn. Obviously, you're listening to a podcast, you're trying to learn more. It's important to listen to Paolo. It's important to listen to Breaking Banks Europe. It gives you a different perspective than Breaking Banks US. It, it's different types of guests, different conversations a lot of different hosts not just one or two different hosts there's there's uh, an array of great hosts and all of them are people you should follow in the industry pao thank you very much for being with us today
1: thank you i'm flattered i really enjoyed
0: thanks for listening to banking transform just announced as a communicator award of excellence winner for outstanding branded series by the academy of interactive and visual arts If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app, and we would love a review of the show. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our new research we are doing on digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital consumer experience, and financial marketing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, Audio engineer, Sean Rowe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Ruse. Until next time, keep learning and be willing to disrupt yourself.